and welcome to the Good Health Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Good, a registered nutritional therapy practitioner and functional medicine practitioner. Join me as we explore thyroid, brain and fatigue conditions with positivity. From Hashimoto's to multiple sclerosis, chronic fatigue to adrenal dysfunction, I've got you covered. With expert advice and tips to help you take action now and inspiring real patient stories from successful individuals who refuse to let their health hold them back. Start your journey to good health today. And don't forget to come and join the conversation on Instagram at good underscore health, that's G-O-O-D-E. Or visit my website at nicolegoodhealth.com to find out more. Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Health Podcast. Today, we're welcoming Rachel Philpotts talking about burnout. Rachel is the founder and the clinical director of the Renutrition Functional Medicine Clinic, which utilizes root cause testing and ultra-personalized health programs to help tired and wired career women to wake up feeling energized, focused, and ready to fulfill their true potential. She holds an MSc in personalized nutrition alongside qualifications in functional medicine and neuro-linguistic programming. Rachel is also a health writer and has contributed to various publications. And she's also recently published her first book, The Burnout Bible, How to Tackle Fatigue and Emotional Overwhelm Naturally, which instantly became a number one Amazon hot release in seven medical and health categories. Rachel's scientific research into stress, alterations in brain chemistry, and major depressive disorder was published by the Journal of Affective Disorders Reports. Okay, so today we welcome Rachel Philpotts to the Good Health Podcast, and I'm so excited to have Rachel here with me because we work in very similar areas, which means that we've got an awful lot in common, and therefore there are so many different things that we could discuss, and that was one of the things I found as I was researching for today's episode which mostly involved reading Rachel's newly published book, The Burnout Bible, it was really hard to pick areas of conversation because there was just so many things that we could delve into. Rachel, I'm so pleased to have you here. Welcome to the Good Health Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So you've recently published your book, The Burnout Bible, and can you just tell us a little bit about why you specialised into burnout to start with? Um, was that like, was it a personal journey or was it an area that just excited you? What's the what's the kind of backstory to lead you where you are today? Yeah, so it's definitely um, a personal journey for me. So burnout is something that I experienced personally. Um, it was back when I was working in corporate, um, quite a successful commercial journey, um, enjoyed what I did, um, but I just kind of worked too hard and burnt out. And it was during the time that I was resting and recovering from that experience that I discovered functional medicine. Um, and I guess the changes that I made personally, and the more I understood about myself and my own unique needs, um, that led me to become really interested in this subject area. Um, and yeah, I think I think just seeing anything firsthand and experiencing how um, you know well you can feel when you've not been feeling so good um, definitely inspired me to um, question um, my current career and decide to leave it behind me, retrain, and really specialize in this area because I wanted to help others so that they could feel um, you know the benefits of this they could, so that they could step off the emotional roller coaster of burnout wake up thinking clearly and um, to give them back their mood mojo the way I was feeling and really help them to fulfill their career potential so that's why that's why burnout <laughs> I think a lot of us get into what we do through a personal story and I think it's nice for people to hear that in a way because it's sort of it may I think sometimes I think when you're a 
sort of practitioner and you're professional in this area and people think we've totally got it together and we're like yeah. I think actually it's quite nice for people to to see the kind of the human behind that of actually you know a lot of us have actually been there and yes now we have a lot more knowledge and we know what to do to help ourselves none of us are perfect but we have that personal story and I think it's really nice for people for the for the listeners to hear that and know that there is that sort of journey behind it and what led you to writing the book because it's obviously it's you know it's a huge undertaking um Mm -hmm. but what was it something that you always wanted to do was it a way of reaching more people and helping more people what what was sort of the reason behind it yeah I I I've been asked this question quite a lot actually recently and I've been reflecting on it and um I definitely was somebody like many people who always wanted to write a book um was an enthusiastic reader and was a writer you know as a young girl um but back then I think I thought the book I would write would be more like a murder mystery or something like I was obsessed with Nancy Drew when I was younger so I think I thought it was going to be something like that but I think, you know, as life kind of takes over and you quickly get into your career path, you sort of forget about book writing or actually you've probably not got anything particularly to say because I think you need to have something to say when you write a book. And I think then the career change, um, working in clinic, um, that sort of converged at a point in time where I felt like I had something to say and that motivated me to write the book. But also I think um, I soon realized in clinic that you can only help help those people that a know you or know about you and two or B, sorry, (laughs) A and B, (laughs) B that can afford your services. So functional medicine is still very much private healthcare in the UK. So I was quite conscious of that. And the book for me then is a way of increasing reach and being able to help more women than I can in in the clinic. So that's the motivation behind it. Um, yeah, so that kind of young writer and that motivation sort of converged at that perfect moment in time. And that's how it's happened. <laughs> I think that's great. It is a great way of being able to help and support more people, because like you said, you know, functional medicine is still very much a private health. I mean, it doesn't even come under private health care. It's outside yeah outside of paying for that so yeah. it's, it is nice to be able to help and support people who maybe you know can't come and join us one-to-one in clinic and things like that yeah. so for those listening who are maybe not sure or for those who've maybe had some confusion around this area because we know that doctors are you know they commonly sort of say that adrenal fatigue doesn't exist or at least a lot of doctors do yeah Um, And I've talked about the misrepresentation around this term quite a lot on my social medias and with clients. And, you know, we've got a lot of terminology in this area. And as practitioners, I I don't know how how you refer to it, but I tend to, when I'm in practitioner mode, refer to it as kind of HPA axis dysfunction or adrenal dysfunction. Um, In public, I tend to say burnout. Um, The reason being is people tend to understand adrenal fatigue or burnout more than they do sort of the more technical terms. And this has kind of created this confusion maybe around the area as to whether it's an actual thing, whether it exists, whether it is a medical term. And, you know, what what would you say to people listening? You know, when we're talking about burnout, what is it that you're talking about? And, you know, does that does that exist? Is it a thing? Yeah, I mean, you're right. So if you typed burnout into the NHS website, you wouldn't get any results. So it's not a recognised medical condition necessarily, but it is a recognised occupational syndrome. So the World Health Organization has recognised it as such. Um, 
For me, when I'm talking about burnout, it's that synonymous um, with it's synonymous for me with an occupational exhaustion. So that end state that occurs following a period of chronic stress. So there are kind of scientists and researchers out there who have defined burnout. The most popular one being Maslick, and she uses the three dimensional model where she talks about emotional exhaustion, occupational cynicism and reduced personal achievements. Um, but I think when many of us think of burnout, we also think of the non-work related factors that can contribute to that feeling. But I think it's really important to state that it is that occupational element that distinguishes burnout from other stress related mood, mood disorders. So when you think of things like generalized anxiety or major depressive disorder, which can, you know, result uh, from chronic stress and have some overlapping symptoms, they are distinguished um, from burnout because they can occur from an occupational or non-occupational background, whereas burnout is linked with this occupational exhaustion. So there is that key link back to what's happening in that working environment. And do you include, I mean, occupation, obviously we're talking work, do you include kind of the modern day fast paced life within that? Because obviously some yeah. people might be thinking, well, I feel burnout, but maybe they, maybe they only work part time or something like that, but they're also yeah. a mum and they're juggling a family and they're juggling. Absolutely. It's everything together, isn't it? It's all that combination of things. And that's why I was saying that we'll also, we'll also recognize that with a chronic, with chronic stress, it can come from anywhere. Um, I think the, the thing that I'm only saying is that there will be an element of occupational stress in the mix when we talk about burnout, but that doesn't always have to be you know, that could be happening anywhere and anyway, and it could be actually something happening in your personal life that is almost a straw that breaks the camel's back. It's not necessarily that, you know, but they're all contributing factors um, that are occurring as a result of all this pressure that we put on ourselves to, you know, be the best at this, be, you know, I've got to be doing this job at the same time as being a mom, at the same time as looking after elderly relatives and all these things that are going on in life. So, Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing I get a lot of people saying to me is, um, particularly actually with the the sort of the high flyers, the high achievers, a lot of them say to me, but I love my job. Like yeah. that, you know, they do, they love what yeah, they yeah. do lots of the time. And they they maybe don't recognize it as a stress, even though yeah. it is putting a stress on them. Or, you know, it could the stress could even be that, you know, with their job, they're flying all around the world all the time, you know, and things like that. And yeah. they're not looking after their health properly and, and that sort of thing. But a lot of them said like, but it's not my job because I love my job. Yeah. You can love your <laughs> job, but still be stressed by Absolutely. Your job. I used to do, because I used to travel a lot in my corporate job and everyone, I, I, all the time I would get comments of people saying, oh, all that travel, you must be exhausted. And I used to, I know I used to say, but I like the travel. I like it because you don't realize the toll that that is actually having on your body up and down, up and down. And also that, that, that takes you out of your environment where you can prepare your own food and you're kind of relying on other conveniences and you're socializing with whoever you're with when you're down there and all those factors that kind of add up. Um, and then when something does then negative happen in that environment, you're, the, all that travel and all that stuff that's going on, all that stress is the context in which burnout can occur. So it's not necessarily that that's the one thing on its own, but it's that's you know part of the environment, isn't it, that that's happening in. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> and why do you think burnout has become such an issue for people today? Because it's it's, you know, for me, it's something that's coming into clinic 
more and more it's mm. you know it's a, it's a big issue with people cases are kind of exploding in this area more and more people yeah. um you know working in, in immune health I'm obviously passionate about this because I I often see people that come to me with burnout and actually they've now got immune health issues because it's triggered something in auto yeah. um so it's I'm I'm very passionate about people jumping in early and getting to the bottom of it but why do you think it is a growing issue and it's become more of a more of a hot topic I guess within the health world yeah I mean there's a number of different things I think that we're all struggling a little bit more post-pandemic you know that was kind of a big global shift it's changed the way that we worked um a lot of us are working from home a lot more now and becoming more isolated which creates stress in and of itself but I think even as that aside you know we live in in a society where we where that expects more of us and there's a lot more self-pressure I think there's there's almost um being busy is almost this badge of honor that we feel like we need to kind of live by and and that's that sort of pressure and information overload living in an um an age where everything's instant um you know we're never we were never designed to cope with that <laughs> you know we're still we're still very much those prehistoric human beings that kind of went out of the cave went and hunted for some food dealt with a threat resolved it came back and you know had a celebration with the tribe and that's we're not living like that anymore and I think that's why and the more you know we move away from that natural um or the kind of his prehistoric hunter-gatherer uh, nature the the more we're going to see burnout because we're just our bodies just aren't able to cope um in that way we're not we're we've evolved so fast from you know in a technology perspective but our biology just hasn't kept uh kept up basically yeah, i see because we actually haven't as a, you know we think we've evolved when we look back at yeah. our ancestors we think we've evolved mass- massively i know <laughs> the world has evolved massively around us but we yeah. as actually haven't evolved much at all no exactly <laughs> um so one of one thing and, and there were so many things that I loved about your book and if people <laughs> have a copy of it I, I highly recommend that they do but one of the things that I loved about it is the way that you link burnout and the adrenals to other parts of the body and take that whole body approach because we know how important that is as practitioners and you know I'm sure you're as keen on that as as I am and and one of these areas that you connect is the thyroid and in clinic I work extensively with thyroid and adrenals and I find that most of my patients actually have adrenal issues um be it because of the thyroid or whether it's it's because of the stress of having a chronic condition or whatever it might be um it's almost impossible kind of to work on the adrenals on, without working on the thyroid and the thyroid without working on vice versa yeah <laughs> they're very, they're very interlinked and and the thyroid is one of the main pillars of my the the mitoimmune method that I use in clinic do you find that same intensity of connection when you're working with people with burnout? And can you tell us like a little bit more about that connection between the cortisol and the thyroid? Yeah. Um, so for the first part of the question, I think with with any of my clients that come in and are presenting with that with those symptoms, low mood, um, low energy, especially in the mornings, um, constipation all the, all the other things that are wrapped around that you know that could very much be burnout and be driven from you know um, a nutrient deficiency or you know a brain chemical um, issue you know the first thing you want to go you're going to want to rule out is the thyroid anyway because the thyroid it could be something that's contributing so um, 
the the case presentation in my clinic is mixed so we sometimes see um, thyroid issues and sometimes not but it's something we'll always screen for because i want to rule it out or rule it in at the beginning to understand in terms of that connection then the thyroid needs a certain amount of cortisol or, or our stress hormone to function effectively um so cortisol can influence signaling from the brain to the thyroid gland itself. And it also influences our ability to convert from inactive thyroid hormone to active thyroid hormone. So in short, we kind of need the right amount of cortisol, um, which when we're burnt out, it's highly unlikely we've got the right amount. Um, so, you know, we may, it may be that the point where if, you know, we're, we're kind of completely burnt out and the adrenal output is reduced. So cortisol is low that may occur like in the later stages of burnout. Um, then it may be at that point that we'll, we'll observe reduced hormone conversion because we just haven't got enough cortisol there to support that. Um, conversion. So we've got less active thyroid hormone in circulation, which then means we, you know, we're less able to um, carry out metabolic functions in the body, which is obviously an issue. <laughs> Conversely, then, if we're kind of in those acute um, go, go, go stages of a stress response or we're, you know, high cortisol um, stage, such, such as the kind of what I call stage two burnout. So before we kind of get to that crash point, but we're kind of, you know, living on cortisol because we're producing an awful lot. So at that stage, you know, that can interrupt the signals from the brain. So we could actually be suppressing the release of thyroid stimulating hormone um, from the brain. And in that case, the thyroid isn't then getting the message to even produce thyroid hormone. So, yeah, it's it's one of those like complicated systems where we need just the right amount. So you can just even just with there's, there's it's more complex than that, as I'm sure. That, well, you definitely are aware. But that is just kind of two examples of where this interplay between the stress hormone cortisol and the thyroid can have issues um, in the body. Yeah, And it is. They're so interlinked, aren't they? And even yeah. um, even at the different stages, like you say, whether it be the, the stage of having high cortisol in sort of earlier stages or low cortisol in later stages of burnout, yeah. and um, and cortisol as well is very linked to the immune system. So when it's exactly yeah. early stages, when it's high, it can suppress the immune system. Um, we can see an increase in the thyroid antibodies. So I mean, there's just there's so many different ways that it's that it's connected. Yeah, totally. like the TSH, the the conversion pathways, the um, you know the immune system the antibodies there's just so many different so many different connections isn't there and I also noticed in your book you picked up on something that I'm very passionate about which I kind of just wanted to bring up with you because it's something that a lot of practitioners don't necessarily talk about um, so much I know I get a lot of people coming to me with confusion over it and that is thyroid and iodine supplementation yeah. and I strongly advocate for people being aware of the dangers of iodine supplements when they've got Hashimoto. So particularly when they've got this autoimmune thyroid, and this is what you talk about, you know, in the book, you touch on this. Um, and I know a lot of practitioners who are still advocating for the use of iodine supplementation, which is sadly, you know, it's outdated. If you look at the, the latest research, it is outdated research now. Um, but you like me kind of pick up on this, on this link. And that's because of this potential trigger of an autoimmune flare and we're, we're not just talking hypothyroid here we're talking if people have got the Hashimoto's the autoimmunity um yeah. and just to kind of quickly explain that for people that are listening because they may not be aware of of this um or I know a lot of people are not aware of this because they come to me in clinic asking about it all the time <laughs> um, 
but iodine can initially it can it can kind of bring down TSH and patients can kind of feel better at first and they think that taking iodine is is beneficial but actually over time it can kind of increase this um inflammation in the body it can increase the autoimmune response that can cause flares and then we get more of the thyroid destruction over time so overall it puts people into a worse position further down the line even though initially they may feel better and they think iodine is kind of working is that something that you've come across a lot do you still see a lot of people taking iodine I think it's 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 something that we so we again would screen for it. So if if we saw um thyroid antibodies in like a blood screen, then before utilizing like a really robust multivitamin, I'd want to then test iodine levels first to kind of understand because I wouldn't want to push that. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't want to push that. And we've actually seen, in fact, in the book, there's actually a case in there where um there was a a, a client who'd kind of listened to a friend who'd been seen and another nutritionist and got this kind of multivitamin that she was taking and couldn't understand why she wasn't feeling great and then when we then and but she was completely unaware that there was an issue with the thyroid it's only then when we screened um and we picked up on this potential for Hashimoto's that were like okay let's get you off this multivitamin and onto something different and um, because you know we suspected that that iodine may have been exacerbating the, the issue so I think it's just being aware I think the, the problem is that many people have done research will have read about the thyroid and will realize that iodine is one of the building blocks for thyroid hormone and they'll also kind of read okay one of the drivers behind hyperthyroidism might be an iodine deficiency and that might be the case but it may also be this autoimmune condition which you've already alluded to and the second problem is we live in this quick fix society where we kind of think, okay, I need the magic bullet to help me. So I'm going to go and get myself an, a, a, an iodine supplement. And I'm going to start popping that and all my problems are going to be solved. <laughs> and I think that was just because they can feel better initially. Exactly. It's, You're like, yeah, you have your I fixed that. it. Yeah. <laughs> I fixed myself. <laughs> So I think that's it. I think that's it. And I think all it, in the book, I just wanted to kind of put that word of caution out there that, you know, and I talk about it actually generally in the supplement section as well, that some of these supplements aren't the panacea that they are marketed to be. And I think if we're, you know, if something like autoimmunity, Hashimoto's in this in this example is suspected, then I do think we need to be, you know, cautious in terms of where we're using supplements. So yeah, it's always good to chat about it, isn't it? <laughs> it's good to just raise that awareness. It's just, it's something that I don't see many people talking about. So when I saw it in, in the book, it was just something I, I thought, I want to just kind of bring it up. It helps raise that awareness for people listening. I know a lot of people listening to this will have thyroid issues because a lot of my yeah. patients will be listening who have thyroid problems. <laughs> it's nice to sort of bring those those things up. Um, yeah. So when when you were talking, so another one of these links around the body that you've talked about in the book um, was with the immune system. And when you're talking about the immune system, you discuss red meat. And yeah. I'd love to kind of just pick up on this with you as well. Um, it's something else that I'm hugely passionate about. Like I said at the beginning, we've got <laughs> a lot in common. <laughs> um, but, you know, you talk about kind of the modern farming, the grain fed um, animals. And of course, you know, the use of things like growth hormones, antibiotics, and obviously regulations vary depending on, you know, where people live and things like that. But yeah. Where, where do you sort of stand on, uh, you know, advising people about meat in the diet? Do you have a preference as to whether people eat meat or don't eat meat? And if they do eat meat, do you have advice that you kind of give over how to make a, a healthier choice? 
Yeah, I, I think the first part in terms of whether I have a preference, whether people eat me or don't eat me, I think, um, I think like, look, in our, in our profession, we can't really afford to have preferences. We need to be led by the person in front of us and, and, and guide them in whichever way we think is best for them. Um, you know, certain thyroid conditions, certain mood conditions, you know, having meat in a diet, it can be super helpful to helping those individuals. So, you know, I'm certainly not going to say that we know one way is the best way. That being said, um, you know, meat um, can be pro-inflammatory, uh, as you've already mentioned there, like grain-fed animals, will, the meat from those will generally be higher in omega-6 than omega-3, which will tip the inflammation balance unfavorably. Whereas grass-fed meat um, or animals that are free to roam um, generally tends to be higher in omega-3, so helps with that inflammation balance. So, with meat, if you are a meat eater, um, obviously, you, don't, you know, if this isn't for you if you're not, but if you are a meat eater, then I think it's it's quality over quantity when it comes to red meat. So buying locally, higher welfare, organic meat, um, and really um, understanding the provenance of what you're, of, of where it's come from, how it's been raised, how it's been fed, uh, and even, you know, how it's been slaughtered, really, it, to kind of understand all of that end-to-end -end process will kind of help you to understand how health promoting that meat will be for you so that's what I'm just advocating for people is to just be a little bit more aware of of that the food chain I guess yeah I think it's really important to know where our food comes from and, and often yeah. we don't because it's packaged and put on a plate in front of us and no longer looks yeah. like an apple and we don't think about it and yeah. I think like you said one of the things um to pick up on something you sort of mentioned there one of the things I always say I get asked a lot what's what's healthier you know is a vegan diet healthier what is it pescatarian is it we have what's the healthy diet um and I always my response is always the same it actually doesn't matter whether you are carnivore pescatarian vegetarian vegan whatever it is you can be healthy or unhealthy within any of those diets you, know, you could be a really healthy vegan who's eating all the fresh um veg and all organics and all of that sort of thing or you could be a really unhealthy vegan who is you know, eating processed junk food all day long. And that makes a vegan diet really unhealthy. And the same goes for, you know, the meat yeah. eater. You can be eating the really unhealthy meat products, um, you know, very sort of processed and all of that sort of thing. Or you could be eating really good organic, you know, grass fed, free range, all of this sort of thing that makes it a healthier diet. So there isn't, I don't feel, um, and mm -hmm. it sounds like you're obviously, you know, going the same way that, there isn't I don't think there is a healthy diet as in you know vegan or pescatarian or whatever I think it's more about the choices you make within the diet that you choose the way you you choose to live your life it's about making health within each of those individual diets and and I also think as well that doesn't just apply to meat I think you know even in terms of uh, you know if we are talking sort of with vegan or vegetarian everybody should be eating veg anyway but whatever diet you're on you know the quality of our of our veg is just as important as the quality yeah. of our meat you know veg is can be sprayed with pesticides or it can be organic and and be a lot cleaner I don't like the word cleaner but you know for want of a better word um yeah. it, you know it depends on the you know the soil health as well you know as it you know if, if the food is organic the soil health is better there's more nutrients in the veg than there is if we're buying veg that's been sprayed with um you know fertilizers and pesticides and all of this sort of stuff so it's not even necessarily just tied 
down to meat exactly. yeah it no. comes down really to quality of food generally and yeah. knowing how to make those choices absolutely I think it's always quite interesting as well how often we as practitioners get asked for our opinion or the way that we personally eat and I, and I do still think that that is kind of irrelevant because you know we all we all have personal preferences we all have different belief systems um and actually we as practitioners as as I said right at the beginning are led by the person in front of us um and led by the evidence aren't we so like you said you've hit the nail on the head there it's definitely about quality with whichever eating pattern that you're um currently observing and we can only advise in terms of whether we think there needs to be tweaks here and there that might be more beneficial for them we're just giving them that information um from a purely scientific point of view um, and then make our choices accordingly. (laughs) So you also talk about mitochondria, Mm -hmm. which is another one of the pillars in, it's one of the very big pillars in the, in the mitoimmune method that I, um, I use in clinic and, and you talk about it as your burnout M&Ms, I think you call it in the book, um, which is mitochondria and methylation. And, so for those listening who who don't know what we're talking about because they don't know what mitochondria are um, <laughs> they are the they're the organelles in the cells in your um in your body they're like the the batteries so they give every every cell you know they, yeah. they convert the nutrients we eat to ATP they give us energy so they're kind of like the batteries of yeah. of our cells and i work on mitochondrial health with my clients a lot um it's obviously something that you are passionate about as well i can tell from reading the book but can you tell us a little bit more about the link between stress and the mitochondria and the impact that that has on, you know, on our body? Yeah, so um, I like the way you pick up, picked up on the burnout M&Ms. I was trying to make, um, you know, two like biochemical processes or <laughs> if you're like, a, bit, a little bit more exciting. <laughs> when people are going to go, mitochondria, methylation. <laughs> like, yeah, they're just your burnout M&Ms. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there. So the mitochondria are our battery, or as you, to use your words, or I call it like kind of the energy engine room of each cell. Um, and you know those mitochondria are relying on key nutrients for their very function. But unfortunately, many of those nutrients are the nutrients that are depleted through stress. So when we're thinking about B vitamins, magnesium, iron, and they are nutrients that we might be consuming, but if we're stressed out, we're probably burning through them really quickly, which then means there's less um, fuel, if you like, for the mitochondria to function. Um, and on the flip side, ironically, uh, the mitochondria are actually crucial for us to be able to produce our stress hormone cortisol. So we're starting to see that kind of interplay where we're kind of in that first stages of stress, lots of cortisol circulating, nutrients getting depleted, mitochondria are not functioning so effectively, um, less able to then produce cortisol and then ending in that state where there's less cortisol around. So it, you know, it's kind of at the heart of that cellular process. Um, so yeah, cellular fatigue, physical fatigue, the two are definitely um, very much linked. Stress is also pro-inflammatory, which can create byproducts. So we, when we burn any fuel, we may produce um, toxins or free radicals as, as a result of that. And mitochondria are particularly susceptible to damage from free radicals. So there's lots of things going on in the stress response that can potentially impact our energy engine room from being able to produce the energy we need to function. Yeah, and we we mentioned that you call it the burnout M&Ms. 
and <laughs> other part of that is the is the methylation which is yeah. you know it's so it's a that's a biochemical process whereby um this is where it, it gets to be a little bit scientific and not so interesting so I love that you have <laughs> <laughs> always a challenge to try and make the science we can geek more. out about it can't we <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it is it's the biochemical process whereby a methyl group is added to a molecule so that it becomes more biochemically active um which which needs to happen it's a process a biochemical process needs to happen in the body so can you sort of tell us a little bit more about why this methylation, why you've picked up on, on these two things, why this methylation is so important in burnout? Yeah, so when we think about burnout, we, you know, if we're feeling burnt out, it's going to affect our energy. So we're thinking about mitochondria and it's going to affect our mood. So thinking about methylation. So as you said, methylation is that process that helps us to produce the uh, mood regulating chemicals. Um, and yeah, this process is happening all the time throughout the body. It's happened probably billions of times while we've been having this um, conversation. Um, so I think it's important to understand that that's happening in the body. And, and perhaps the individuals that come to see us in, in clinic perhaps need to worry less about mitochondria and methylation. But they're going to be the things that are in our our minds in terms of are we you know is there a mitochondrial dysfunction issue here is this individual a poor methylator and might one of these two things or both of these things be explaining why this individual has ended up where they are um today so methylation is that crucial process that um you know and if it's not effect if it's not working effectively it can affect our sleep it can affect our mood it can affect our hormone balance etc etc so um we can't even produce without methylation. We can't produce the first um, chemicals in the our stress response. We also can't produce the chemicals that make us happy, keep us content, help us to sleep, and we can't make the hormones that um, help supercharge our nervous system. So basically, in short, I think I say it in the book that without methylation, you can't beat burnout. So it's, you know, I kind of include it at the end because it is a bit sciencey, but that's where we're kind of, you know, we're we're peeling back the layers of the onion to understand what's happening with this individual. Um, so yeah, it's basically just telling people we're doing our jobs well, right, Nicole? Yeah. <laughs> and, and on that note, we've kind of we've geeked out a little bit on the science, <laughs> which which I love to do, but. I also want to I also want to sort of talk about um I guess the more sort of the fun stuff for um for the listeners but we you know people obviously they want guidance on dealing with burnout and you've got some amazing steps in the book um which you put into pillars you put into restore nourish engage and refrain so can you can you just explain for us sort of why those pillars sort of and what those what those four pillars sort of stand for yeah, so I, for the book, I wanted to kind of create this formula um, that would, you know, make it quite simple to to help um, either recover from or prevent burnout. And I call it my mood boosting method. Um, and I, I, if someone was in, working with me in clinic, I would generally go through it in that order because, you know, depending on where someone is on their burnout scale, if they are completely flat out burnt out, then the first thing they're going to want to do is restore. And that is all about thinking about rest and relaxation and just giving themselves the time to, to heal. And um, the nourish part is all about nourishing the brain and the whole body. So all those, you know, that function that we've already talked about there, those little biochemical processes, we want to give the body the nourishment to enable them to to carry that out unbeknown to them <laughs> and then engage is about thinking about the activities that you might have disengaged from as a result of feeling burnout and that may support might support recovery so we're thinking about exercise 
maybe hobbies, maybe socializing. And it's these things that can start to drop off when we're feeling burnt out. We're disengaging from our friends. We're perhaps not prioritizing exercise as much. And we're not, you know, we might have dropped all our hobbies and all we're doing is basically the bare minimum to function. So engage is about gently starting to re-engage in those activities. And then finally, then reframe is thinking about the limiting beliefs and the negative self-talk that, um, you know, that might be happening on a subconscious level that we're not even aware of that may have contributed or made us more vulnerable to burnout in the first place, that if we address them, um, may be then, you know, maybe protective against burnout in the future. So yeah, that was kind of a whistle-stop tour of the mood boosting method. <laughs> I think, and I think, but I think it's really important for people to understand that because I think a lot of the time people almost assume that we we just do food. Um, yeah. you know, just do diet and yeah. it's um it's just around that kind of um one pillar I guess mm. and they don't, people are maybe not always aware that actually there's a lot more to functional medicine um even to you know nutritional therapy lifestyle medicine you know whatever it whatever those whatever it might be whichever modality we're talking about yeah. there's always a lot more to it than absolutely just food and and I think you're that that sort of nice sort of four pillar framework sort of really shows people that actually you know one of those is about is about food yeah exactly yeah about all the other things that are involved in in healing and it's a much bigger thing than just you know change your diet I'm going to tell you what to eat and change your diet and you'll be fine you know absolutely yeah absolutely and and I think you you're right there and I think there's probably an element you asked me right at the beginning um you know why you know why write the book and and with you just saying that then, I think one of the other motivations for me was to showcase what we do in functional medicine and showcase that it is a lot more than that. And when you introduce yourself to somebody as a nutritionist and the first thing someone says is, oh, you know, it's all about, you know, what should I eat? And actually, no, we're all about understanding the root cause of what's happening in your body. And actually, you know, the pathology that this is, you know, this has taken to get you here. It's all that kind of backstory. And then it's all the things that are going to make you feel better not just what you eat although that is going to become that is a you know a big part of it but it's that whole wrap around so yeah you're right <laughs> yeah I think I get I get asked a lot just like you said if you you know you introduce yourself as a nutritionist or or whatever sort of terminology you use and instantly you can guarantee the next question is going to be oh right okay great so what should I eat then to feel better yeah. and it's like it's just it's a way more complex question than that and yeah. and I think people think there's a really easy it's almost a bit like I guess the the sort of you know which diet should I eat the vegan pescarian you know what what should I have yeah. it's a bit of a similar question I think people think there's going to be sort of one answer that we're yeah. advocating and pushing and you know actually we're not where it's about you know getting some functional testing done getting to the root cause finding out actually you know what underlying imbalances are there what's causing you to be feeling this way let's yeah. deal with those so that you don't feel that way any any longer and and I think sometimes that gets missed and I think that's why it's really nice to have things like you said like the book out and things like that where people can actually see that there's a whole lot more to the picture than just just yeah, the absolutely <laughs> and, um, and I, I love the simplicity of that as well you created that structure um yeah. And yet also I know, even though that that it sounds like you said it's a whistle stop tour, but it sounds like quite a simple um, sort yeah. of structure. I also know, obviously, that the the huge benefits that following those sort of steps are going to give to people. Yeah. And 
you know, could you maybe give the listeners, and I know if they want to, if they want to get the full picture, obviously go and go and get the book because there's tons of tips in there that are really going to help people to take those those steps to feeling better. But yeah. could you give the listeners maybe one task from each pillar maybe sure. that they could walk away from today, implement sort of straight away, that's going to just help them to start working on, you know, the burnout and the stress levels and, you know, just, just one thing from each of those things that they could maybe walk away and implement. Yeah, absolutely. So the first one I mentioned before is restore. So when I think about res- restoration, the the mate the first thing that I w- I think of from that is getting sufficient sleep. And I think that that's not new advice. Your listeners aren't going to suddenly think this is rocket science that that you know getting a good night's sleep is going to help them. But it really cannot be emphasised enough. So in terms of how to support themselves in doing that, I would be thinking about implementing that routine in terms of has that being truly honest with yourself and has your sleep routine, you know, gotten a little bit out of whack and can you tighten up on that a little bit so that you are giving yourself, you know, two hours before sleep with no food, one hour before bed to kind of have like a ritual to kind of get your brain ready for sleep. And even more importantly, perhaps the next morning when you wake up, going and standing by a window or getting outside so that your brain knows it's daytime now, time to be awake, which will then in turn help you feel sleepy later on in the day. So that's kind of step one. Can you tighten up on your sleep routine? Being honest. I think that's exactly really being honest yeah. well because we we all slip. I actually had a conversation with a friend, another practitioner this morning, because we both had a really bad night's sleep last night. <laughs> and it was because we were both working on the computer far too yeah. late. We yeah. know what happened. We yeah. know, you know, we know what caused it. <laughs> uh, we had this conversation and it's it's so easy, isn't it, to to slip up and um yeah. And then it's very easy to not be honest with yourself. It's like easy to wake up in the morning and be like, oh, why didn't I sleep well? And actually, I know why I didn't sleep well last night. <laughs> you yeah, know? we're all but, human yeah. at the end of the day, aren't we? You know, we, we're, yeah. none of us are perfect. And it, I think it, the more aware you can be about why these things are happening. And also, like, then you'll be more accepting of the fact that if you have had a bad night's sleep, then you can kind of go back and, you know, well, what could I do differently next time around? Because, I, you know, I've been responsible in some way for this. Like, okay, you know, if if your husband snores and, and wakes you up or uh, I'm, I'm using that as an example that's what happens in my house <laughs> but you know these, these things that are you know or like a car alarm goes off or something that's kind of you know the dog burst in or something that's kind of like out of your control a small child's waking you up in the night these are the things that you can't help and can't be helped but the things that are are, are within your control are the things that we often kind of ignore and pretend that we're not you know aren't happening but if we're more honest about those things then that's when we can start to put that you know, back into place. We don't like to admit it to ourselves, do we? No. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So then thinking about nourish, I was, um, in terms of like the, for me, the really simple thing that you can do, when I'm thinking about these steps as well, and I'm thinking the, what are the things that you can do really quickly that are simple and, you know, probably either cost nothing or are very inexpensive. So with nourish, I always think about focusing on hydration. So if you're feeling even a little bit dehydrated, that can increase feelings of anxiety. You know, we're not going to be efficient energy producing machines. So the first the thing I would prioritize for nourish is simply having a glass of water first thing in the morning before you do anything else. Um, simple, inexpensive. You can put that into place right now. Um, you could even take it to bed with you tonight. So it's right there. So it's looking at you as soon as you wake up saying, drink me. Um, and that could be helpful. Um, 
from an, enga an engaged point of view. So kind of step three, again, thinking simple and uh, inexpensive, I would just say get out into nature. So we don't want to be, you know, hammering the exercise or kind of going out and start training for a marathon in our recovery. Um, but some gentle exercise and being outdoors could be beneficial. So, you know, maybe it's just a five minute walk today, a 10 minute walk tomorrow, just something to kind of get you back out and re-engaging. Um, and then finally, then with reframe, so reframe, I think, is a bit of, you know, it's deeper work than some of the others. It's, you know, really understanding yourself and what's brought you to this point. And sometimes people aren't quite ready for that at the beginning. So it's something about at what point am I ready to kind of really understand, you know, whether these limiting beliefs have held me back. But in the short term, we can capture some negative beliefs. So simply simple things like um I can't get through the afternoon without chocolate is, a, is an example of a negative belief that might be holding you back. So for that kind of thing, I would just encourage someone to write down three alternative examples that are positive, that actually are more helpful to them than, you know, I can't get through the afternoon without this. Um, and I've got like a really nice, simple belief change tool on the website that people can utilize um, if, if that would be helpful for them. Yeah, we'll link we'll, we'll link your website below. So if you if you drop me the link for that, we'll um we'll make sure that that's linked below so people can can jump onto that because I think it'd be really useful for them. Yeah, so it has that kind of like do at home little tools. I think are always helpful, aren't they? So they are. And again, it, it is it is a lot about being honest with yourself as well. I think and and you know, like we said, we're not always very good at that. But I think yeah. it, you know, it's I think with the reframe that, that sort of side of things that sort of being mindful and things like that it takes a little bit more time maybe to yeah. develop those tools and absolutely it's important that you you use them when you're not necessarily just in a bad place yeah absolutely if you can use them all all the time um even when you feel like you're in a good place a lot of the time people sort of drop those those sort of things those sort of tools and 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 um you know habits that help them they drop them off when they think they're in a really good place yeah. but actually if you can keep them going when you're in a good place when you're in a bad place and you actually really need them they're so much easier to then implement because it's obviously harder when you're not in such a absolutely yeah yeah exactly well you know if you're not if you're feeling burnt out then the negative self-talk can be running rife because your mood's not great so and that's why it's harder to kind of dig yourself out at that point and but whereas like you said if you've kind of developed that self-awareness about yourself you've implemented some of these tools and you're continuing to use them then it can be protective um but it takes yeah like you said, it takes time and, and you know burnout is not like a one and done thing either it's something that we kind of have to work on all the time I have to work on it all the time <laughs> how I didn't burn out burn out writing the book about burnout I'll never know but it's so I'm definitely um someone who knows from experience that you have to constantly be working at this you know it's once you learn these tools you've got to then be constantly implementing them um but also kind of be kind to yourself with that as well yeah and making it a lifestyle change rather than a yeah sort of quick fix diet isn't it it's not like rather than yeah. doing a, a diet that you know you're going to do for the next sort of month to go on holiday it's about it's about implementing a nutrition plan that is a lifestyle change and yeah. it's it's the same thing with with everything that we do um yeah, you know absolutely. About, about developing it as a sort of a new way of life um and doing that in a way that fits into the lifestyle that you want as well I always say that yeah. to you know to to clients and things it's it's we've got to develop something that's going to work for you and fit into your 
lifestyle. Mm-hmm. There's no point, you know, for example, with burnout, there's no point saying to somebody, I had a, I had a client recently who said to me, oh, am I going to have to give up my job? And I was like, no, you don't have to. <laughs> the point is that we're going to build you up and get you in, have these tools so that you can do the job you love. Yes but also protect your health and look after yourself. You just know how to do that and what to do about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it, it is about those sort of lifestyle changes that fit into the lifestyle that that person wants. And that's where it has to be kind of individualized, I guess. Totally, totally agree. So final question, and it's okay. the same one that I ask sort of every guest. Um, yeah. If you could give the listeners one piece of advice, I know you've given them some steps and, and, if people want more of those steps around around those sort of four around your method around those four pillars I really you know strongly advise they go and get the book um because there's tons more tips in there um, (laughs) for them to implement but if you if there was one thing that you wanted the listeners to walk away from this conversation with today be it you know be it a piece of advice a tip or or just a, a message I guess yeah what would be the one thing that you would really love for them to sort of take away from this conversation? I think the the main thing for me is is to listen to your body. You know yourself. Um, symptoms are that warning sign from the brain to get us to change our behavior. So burnout doesn't have to be, you know, inevitable. Um, and recovery and prevention aren't necessarily a quick fix, which we've just talked talked upon. So talked about so I would just say be kind to yourself get to know yourself understand your unique needs and just take one step at a time I love that Rachel thank you so much for joining me today I hope that you enjoyed it too um and that maybe you'll you'll come back on and join me again sometime for another episode because like I said there's so many more things that I think we could deep dive into. <laughs> I'd absolutely loved being a guest so thank you so much for having me I, yeah it's been brilliant oh thank you for joining me and don't forget to pick up a copy of Rachel's book it's called Burnout Bible you can get it in your local bookstores it's available from online from all the main sort of retailers it's on Amazon and everywhere else so people can um can find that we will drop the links as well for the book um below and to your website for that tool that you mentioned as well so all of that will be in the show notes if people want to uh, grab a copy of the book or use that tool as well for the behavior change so thank you so much for joining me today i really hope that you enjoyed this conversation and i will see you next week on the good health podcast If you've been listening to this episode and you think that burnout might be an issue for you or you want to prevent burnout because you know that you live a really busy, fast-paced life, then we've got a couple of things for you. In the show notes below, we're going to link our free adrenal challenge guide. This is 12 days of steps you can take to help prevent burnout or beat burnout. And this is entirely free, so you can download this in the show notes below. If you're ready to start working on your nutrition, we've got a full week nutrition plan for you that is specifically designed for enhanced energy and balanced immunity. So this is really gonna help you if you've got that really busy, fast paced life. You know that burnout might be an issue, but you wanna keep going and you want to elevate your energy to the next level. Both of these will be linked in the show notes below so that you can join now.